New Stories, Bold Legends, Stories from Sydney Lunar Festival is a podcast about Australians who celebrate Lunar New Year. In season one, we introduced you to a range of successful contemporary Australians, from artists to brain surgeons, fashion designers to board directors. This season, we're going to step back in time and introduce you to some colourful characters from history who have helped shape Australia. From newspaper moguls to department store kings, publicans and tea room merchants, you'll meet people who have made their mark in creating the unique culture we see in our country today. My name's Valerie Koo, the City of Sydney's curator of the Sydney Lunar Festival. I'm also an artist, printmaker and CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre. In this series, I explore the stories and history of people who melded their cultural traditions with this sunburnt country we call home. In this episode, we meet John Shying, the first known Chinese person to arrive in Australia and make a life down under. On 27 February 1818, just 30 years after the First Fleet, the ship Laurel docked at Port Jackson in Sydney Harbour. She had departed Bengal on the 1st of August the previous year, sailing via Canton in November, then Malacca and Port Dalrymple in Tasmania, carrying a cargo of tea to the colonies. As well as this precious cargo, the Laurel also brought Australia's first recorded Chinese settler, Mak Ying, or as he later came to be known, John Shying. Many people are under the impression that Chinese immigration into Australia started with the gold rush. Yes, the lure of riches to be found in the gold fields of New South Wales and Victoria from 1851 onwards brought many Chinese down under, as well as people from other countries. And then the white Australia policy certainly affected Chinese migration into Australia until the 1970s when restrictions were lifted, and there was a definite increase in arrivals following the Tiananmen Square protests of 1989. So there's this idea that Chinese presence in Australia is a relatively new thing. But from the moment of European settlement in this country, there were Chinese people here. It's possible there were even Chinese crew on the First Fleet, and we know from Aboriginal oral histories and archaeological evidence that Chinese boats had been visiting Australia before James Cook ever stumbled onto its shores. The arrival of John Shying, and I'll be calling him by this name throughout the episode as he changed his name a few times, his arrival in 1818 is, however, the first on record. Although we don't know what brought him to Australia, or anything about his life before he came here, we do know that Shying went on to become a property developer and publican. He worked for famous historical figures like the pioneer settler and explorer John Blacksland and pastoralist Elizabeth MacArthur, who would establish the Australian wool industry. John Shying's children and grandchildren would go on to become successful business owners across Sydney and Parramatta, and many people today proudly trace their ancestry back to John Shying. So let's talk about his early days. John Shying was born in about 1796 in Canton, which is now known as Guangzhou Province in China. When he arrived in Australia, the colony was still in its infancy, only 30 years old. The settlement was a collection of mostly wooden huts with windmills, storehouses, quays and churches. A few more permanent structures had been built, and some of these still remain. The oldest of these is the Dawes Point Battery, built in 1791, which was built to protect the harbour from enemy ships, and Cadman's Cottage, built in 1816, which was initially built to house government boatmen. George Street was already established and still follows the same route it has since 1788. 
When John first stepped off the laurel and into this new landscape, he was about 22 years old. Although he was alone, he had evidently made friends either before or during the voyage because he soon landed a job with John Blacksland as a carpenter. Blacksland's son, George, had been an officer aboard the Laurel, so it's possible Shying learned about his new job opportunity from George. I think we can assume that Shying was already a skilled tradesman. Very soon after his arrival in Sydney, he made his way up the Parramatta River to Blacksland's estate called Newington. Blacksland had acquired a land grant of 520 hectares along the river and needed skilled workers to help clear the land and construct buildings. I mentioned before that John Shying was known by many names over his lifetime. At this point, he was known as Muck Opong, which seems a long way from John Shying, I know. It's unlikely we'll ever know his real Chinese name, but we can bet that it was neither Muck Opong nor John Shying. The closest researchers have come to is something like Muck Sai Pang or Muck Sai Ying. So you can see how Muck Sai Pang could morph into Muck Opang and sometimes Mark Opang, and then later Saiying became Shying. In any case, it was Muck Opong who disembarked in Sydney and went downriver to Newington Estate. As a carpenter, he was paid £104 a year. What's interesting to note is that this is the same salary as other tradesmen on the estate. There was no wage discrimination against non-Europeans at this point. Free men were free men and were well regarded, particularly if they were skilled. Speaking on Shying's behalf later, Blacksland recalled this about him. John Shying lived with me as a carpenter on his arrival in the colony for three years and always conducted himself with the greatest propriety, since which I have always heard that he has been an honest, respectable character. In 1820, John Shying applied to Governor Lachlan Macquarie for a land grant. In his application, he says that he had been, and I quote, In the colony two and a half years, during which time he has been in the service of John Blacksland, Esquire, as a carpenter, supporting an honest, industrious character. Memorialist being anxious to become an agriculturalist of this colony. Humbly implores your excellency to take his case into your favourable consideration and grant him such portion of land for a farm. A notice in the Sydney Gazette and New South Wales Advertiser, the official government publication of the day, announced that Mark Opong was one of the settlers who was to receive a grant of land. It was his first foray into land ownership, but it certainly wasn't going to be his last. After working at Newington, Shying moved on to Elizabeth Farm outside of Parramatta, which was owned by Elizabeth and George MacArthur, who would be instrumental in establishing Australia's wool trade. By the time Shying was working there, the farm covered more than 925 acres near Parramatta, which is about 375 hectares. Again, Shying was working as a carpenter. Very few records survive from this period in his life, but we know that he was alternatively known as Machi Ping or simply the Chinese carpenter. The records suggest he was responsible for making the flooring of the buildings at Elizabeth Farm. He may have also made a carriage, a trunk, a press and a butterfly box. We also know from records that at least two other Chinese people were working for the MacArthur's during this period, an unnamed cook and a servant. John Shine himself worked for the MacArthur's on and off between at least 1821 and 1823. Now let's move on to another period of John Shying's life. 
On the 3rd of February, 1823, John Shying married Sarah Jane Thompson at St. John's Anglican Church, Parramatta. Both bride and groom signed the register with an X, although we know from later records that Shying was able to write at least in Chinese. Sarah was an interesting character herself. She had arrived in the colony in 1820 as an 18-year-old girl with her 10-year-old stepbrother, John O'Neill. The two youngsters had come out alone, a journey of more than four months, to be reunited with their convict parents. They were Sarah and Daniel O'Neill, and they had been found guilty of counterfeiting coins and had originally been given the death penalty before their sentences were commuted to transportation. The young Sarah... John Shying's future wife, was also implicated, but she was acquitted. I quote from official documents at the time, Daniel O'Neill and Sarah, his wife, for traitorously forging and coining certain pieces of counterfeit money resembling the current coin of the realm called shillings and sixpences. Guilty death since reprieved, Sarah Thompson, a girl 10 years of age, implicated in the same offence and who had been artfully trained up by the prisoners to pass the coin, was acquitted. So it's from this date of his marriage that he took his anglicised name, John Shying. Later, he would say that it was a custom of his people to change their name after a significant event, such as a wedding. John and Sarah settled in Parramatta area and their first son, John James, was born promptly nine months later. Following the birth of his son, John Shying petitioned for land in the township of Parramatta himself. And this is what he said and wrote in his letter. The humble petition of Pung John Shayung Sheweth. That your petitioner came to this colony about six years ago in the Laurel, Captain Green, and has continued ever since that period, having been usefully employed as a mechanic in the colony. That about 12 months ago he married a young woman who came free into the colony by whom he has one infant son. That your petitioner humbly craves of your excellency the indulgence of continuing in the colony and further humbly solicits permission to erect a small habitation in this town to enable him to carry on his business and thereby comfortably provide for his increasing family. Petitioner would further humbly beg leave to request the indulgence of an allotment of ground in Church Street, near where he now lives, as the foresaid purpose for being most eligible for his business. So, in 1824, John was granted an allotment on a 21-year lease. Allotments like these could be converted to freehold by building a house worth more than £1,000. John took up the opportunity, exercising his carpentry skills, and built a home with a large veranda. Over the next few years, John would go on to buy and sell more land in the Parramatta region. Although in his first petition, John said he wanted to be an agriculturalist, there is actually no evidence that he ever did get into farming. Instead, it seems he was more of a property developer, trading in land and making a return on his investments through constructing buildings on the property. Also during this period, and we're now in the late 1820s and John is in his early 30s, the Shyings were running a shop. By the time of the 1828 census, they had two more sons, born at regular two-year intervals, George Hugh and Henry James. It was then that John did the most Australian thing ever. He became a publican. In March of 1829, the Sydney Gazette published a list of persons to whom licences have been granted by the Parramatta Bench of Magistrates for the present year. And there at number 14 is John Shying, the new publican of The Lion in Parramatta. 
as far as records show, he is the first Chinese-born publican in Australia. In 1830, John would also be granted a publican's licence for Golden Lion in Church Street, Parramatta. And that same year, Sarah and John welcomed their fourth son, Thomas James. So by 1831, John was a successful property developer, shopkeeper and publican. He had a wife and four young but healthy sons. He had established a good life for him in the new colony. At 35, he was in the prime of his life. And then, for unknown reasons, he returned to China where he would remain for four years. His departure was apparently not sudden. He granted two of his business associates power of attorney to look after his property in his absence. Nevertheless, near the end of the year, his wife sent a request to the colonial secretary asking that John Shying's land be transferred into her name. The reply was simple. As a married woman, she could not own land. And as John was not naturalised, he also couldn't own land at the time, especially now that he had left the colony. All his wheeling and dealing in property was apparently for nothing. What prompted John Shying to return to China is a mystery. Some historians speculate that he was responding to a family emergency. Some believe he took up a job as a customs official. One thing to keep in mind is that China is much closer to Australia than Europe. When Europeans immigrated to the colonies, they rarely expected to return because it was so far away. Chinese immigrants, however, found it much easier to go back on a regular or semi-regular basis. All we know for sure is that in 1836, his wife, Sarah, died, and shortly afterwards, John reappears in official records. Sarah and John had been married for 16 years, and of those, he had been absent for four. Her tombstone read, Leaving a husband and four young children to deplore the loss of a tender wife and kind mother. John's first point of business was to recover his lands. In this, he was partly successful, and there are more records of purchases and sales after his return. In 1837, the year after he came back to New South Wales, he was granted another publican's licence, this time for the Lamb Inn in Pennant Street, Parramatta. If it hadn't been for all his dealings in property, we would actually know a lot less about John Shying. As it is, we know very little about his life. That he was a keen investor is obvious. He was industriously buying, building and selling. That we even know this much about his property investments is down to the dedicated work of some of his descendants. They have meticulously combed through land's office records, tracking down every transaction made by John Shying, and the detail they have found is too fine to go into now. But the next major life event for John was his second marriage, this time to Bridget Galorley, again at St John's Anglican Church in Parramatta. I'm quoting from church records here. John Shying of this parish, a widower, and Bridget Galorley of this parish, a widow, were married in this church by bands this 10th day of October, 1842. H.H. Bobart officiating minister, John Shying signed in Chinese characters, and Bridget made her X mark in the presence of James Turney and J.F. Staff. Then in 1844, John put up for sale one of his properties, the Peacock Inn. From records at the time, I'm quoting, The house is brick-built in good condition, having an excellent china-fashioned veranda running the whole frontage, and contains a bar, tap room, three sitting and three bedrooms, large yard, stables, coach house, a never-failing well of good water, and cellars. 
The auctioneer only deems it necessary to say that capitalists and others who wish to increase their rent roll should not lose sight of this opportunity as the property is situated in the best thoroughfare in the town and is proverbial as being a lucky house. So that's an example of a real estate listing at the time. This lucky house was on Windsor Road, North Parramatta, where Harry's Café de Wield now does its trade. We know that he prepared his will in 1844, appointing a trustee for his property portfolio until his youngest son turned 21, although the document itself has not been found. John's second wife, Bridget, died in 1845, and after that, John himself disappears from all public records. For Australia's first recorded Chinese settler to just fade away is a bit disappointing. For that reason, many researchers have tried to dig up information on what may have happened to him after 1845. One theory is that he married a Margaret McGovern in 1846 and changed his name to John Sheen. Another is that he simply went back to China. What we do know is that John Shying's four sons all went on to become successful businessmen. His sons, John and George, established an undertaking business closely aligned to their father's carpentry trade and had premises in Sydney at Abercrombie Place, 719 George Street, Riley Street and 120 Southhead Road. His son Henry was a cabinet maker with his workshop at 477 Pitt Street, while Thomas was a butcher at Crown Street in Piermont. Between these four sons, they had at least 31 children, meaning that there are literally thousands of descendants of Australia's first Chinese settler in Australia today. One of these was Sergeant John Joseph Shying, son of John James, who was the first Chinese-Australian serviceman serving with the colonial military services in the Anglo-Sudan War in 1885. Among the Australian families, which can trace their lineage back to John Shying, are the Dunns, Slafords, Owens, Proctors and Murphys. In 2018, celebrations were held across Australia to mark 200 years since John Shying had arrived in Sydney. One person who was surprised to participate in these events was Melbourne man Barry Shying. In an interview with the ABC, Barry said that he learned he was descended from John Shying more than 30 years ago when he was contacted by a researcher. As part of the 2018 celebrations, he found himself invited to events as a special guest. Barry said... I feel a bit overwhelmed, quite truthfully. I've spent 86 years of my life being almost invisible, and suddenly everyone wants to photograph me and invite me to things, but I'm very glad to do it. It sort of gave me a feeling of connection, which I have never had before, and that feeling of connection has continued on. Others of John's descendants have always known about their Chinese heritage. Winsome Doyle and Valerie Blomer, themselves Shying's descendants, have done extraordinary work uncovering their distant cousins and collecting oral histories. They published a document in 1999 called An Alien in the Antipodes, from which a lot of this information has come. As you can imagine, some wild myths have sprung up in the family histories, with one descendant being told that had she been born in China, she would have been born a princess. Like I said, we will probably never know where John Shying or Muck Saying or Muck Saipang really came from. He probably wasn't Chinese royalty, but as far as being one of the first settlers in the colony, he was certainly a pioneer in the early years of New South Wales, working hard and building a life in what would become the world-class city of Sydney. Thanks for listening to this episode of New Stories, Bold Legends – 
You can find out more about me at ValerieKoo.com, that's K-H-O-O, and you can find out more about John Shying and others who celebrate Lunar New Year from this generation and from yesteryear over at newstories.net.au. You'll also find pictures of some of the people we've mentioned so they can come to life visually for you. In the meantime, we hope to see you at the Sydney Lunar Festival. Through this podcast season, you've been meeting a range of historical characters, the forefathers and mothers of the Sydney Lunar Festival, which is a modern day celebration of culture, heritage and diversity. It's through the contribution of these people from history who have created the unique culture we celebrate today in Australia. At the festival, you'll find iconic art installations in the form of huge lunar lanterns, each representing a different animal of the zodiac, lining circular key. There are performances, talks and events throughout the city of Sydney. More than 1.5 million people attend the festival, which has become one of the biggest events on the city's calendar and the biggest celebration of Lunar New Year outside of mainland China. To find out more, go to sydneylunarfestival.com. See you at the festival.